Welcome to Humanity, Women in Unity. This is our first broadcast of the new year, and we use this show to reflect on some of the lessons learned as well as inspirations for progress and success. By playing back some impactful conversations with guests over the past year. We start the segment with the Deputy Secretary General of the United Nations, Ms. Amina Mohammed, who shares her humble beginnings in Nigeria, which paved the way for her future in New York. You are the eldest of a family of five daughters, born in northeastern Nigeria. You studied in Nigeria, the United Kingdom, and Italy. Can you share with us some of the obstacles that you've encountered as a woman, not as a means of, of opening up injuries or, or anything like that, but just to demonstrate to anyone listening on the show that the successes that women like you have achieved today have come through tremendous hard work. These things weren't presented on a silver platter. No, but I would have been considered to have been born with a silver spoon in my mouth in Nigeria because my father was a civil servant and my mother a nurse. And I come from a mixed background. My mother was British and father Nigerian. And we lived in the what would be called the GRA, the General um, Reserved Area in Nigeria. So we would have been considered uh, silver spoon. But we had to work really hard because in those days, a public servant was just that. Um, and so we went to public schools. Um, and, you know, uh, we grew up with, with an education that was, um, I think, probably all, all round. We learned to do many things. Uh, so it wasn't just about your English and math and science, but it was also about your needlework and your, your cooking. Um, but as I started to, to join um, the workforce, that was the most difficult um, because it was all, it was a man's world. Um, and so even then, you were never thought to have the competencies to do it. I don't think I would have been given the same chances in the work that I first started uh, by my own fellow compatriots as I had by those who came in from the UK. So it was actually an Irish engineer that opened up the doors for me and a German architect. Um, and I then was able to work through I'm a very difficult um, circumstance. I mean, look, we were architects and engineers. We were designing and building hospitals and schools all over the country. I was having to do the project management, so I would go out to the field six, seven hours down the road in a car. It was difficult to stay in hotels in that time. Um, if you didn't have a, chore, a, a, door, a, a chair up your door, you would do that six-hour journey and go back so, because you couldn't stay the night and then go back again six hours, and then back again. So it was, it was quite a ridiculous way of life, but it was one of survival. And I think it strengthened us, and it also got us a certain level of integrity. So in, in my country today, I know that, that my reputation is built on the hard work um, and on people seeing that you actually walk the talk um, and that proving that women can do that and that women don't have to be any other way other than you know work their way through and, and show the competencies to deliver. So I think if... It was tough. I mean, I, I remember very much so. It's also been tough on the family side because you've had to work a career and bring up children. I am one of five daughters, but I've got six kids and now a grandchild. Um, and that was tough. It was tough in... in, the, in, um, in I, I guess it's the, the dynamics in, in a relationship where um, you, are, you have a place in a family, you have a place as a wife, um, and it, it should be... It should be compatible with um, what we do in our careers, but it isn't. Um, and I think that had its strains, and so therefore, um, in many, many cases, um, 
not the life that you really would have wanted for your daughter. To the girls and the women's out, women out there, there is a light at the end of the tunnel. It is a long journey, but every footstep that you take just make it count. Our next guest is the former Vice President and Minister of Women Affairs from the Gambia, Ms. Fatumato Jalo Tambajang, who shares part of her life story and reflects on the importance of having a vision to fulfill, advocating lifelong learning to remain relevant. You mentioned that at 21 years of age, you had already had four children, you were divorced, you then went on to continue your education through adult-based learning. You mm -hmm. now have eight children, four of each gender. Mm -hmm. Can you please share with us some of the obstacles that you encountered as a woman whilst you were building your career to demonstrate to other people that are listening to our show that successful women like you and the achievements that you have made weren't presented to you on a silver platter? It required hard work and sacrifice. First of all, it needs a vision, uh, it needs a commitment, and it needs a mission. Uh, the vision will drive you as to how high. A vision for me is achieving what no man thinks you can achieve, making a difference. The mission is focusing on how to achieve your vision. And uh, you need courage also. You need support. The social system in the con in our in Gambian context and in the African context. My my parents, my sisters, my relatives were there to support me to give me that social system where I can uh, concentrate and focus on my new vision, which is to really have the required uh, competence, the knowledge, and the experience to be able to make change, to effect change, and to bring a wealth of women, uh, a wealth of knowledge and skills shared with the younger women and women of my age. Because in Africa, sometimes once you have one child, they say, oh, this, some of the challenges, as you, uh, you ask me, some of the challenges that they, people will not believe you after having children that you can make it. They feel that you are so busy with rearing the children, caring for them, that you wouldn't have time. So what you need is to ensure, to prove them, to first of all believe in yourself that you can make it, you have the vision, and you, you know what you want, and you know what, why you want it. So that was what, number one, that was the barrier. Secondly, uh, people thought that when I am with those children, four children after divorce, that would be so difficult economically to raise them and to give them the right type of upbringing in terms also opportunities. Uh, that was one. I thought that if I am educated, surely my children will not go through what I went through. I will give them the right education. So most of my children were raised well, good upbringing, because that is also important, the cultural aspect, knowing where you belong, what you respect your culture, you respect other people, the respect for the individual, and you inspire them, be a role model for them living by example or doing by example. Those were the challenges that I had. Also funding. When I was going to school, everybody was saying, going back to, to adult learning, people thought, even including the government, some government people, scholarship boards, were saying, well, she already has a child. How about, why don't we invest in a younger person? Um, but I proved them wrong. I asked them, I convinced them through my interviews that uh, I would make it. 
and because I want, I knew what I wanted, and I knew that I was going to be able to achieve it with God's grace. I convinced them. I was given a scholarship. I went to Dhaka University. First of all, I did my advanced level with Rapid Results College, and then which was paid by me. While I was also uh, studying as adult learner, I remember putting my last daughter, my first daughter, on my back, studying under candlelight when there was no electricity. I remember doing all my household, supporting my mom, even though we had domestic workers. I really wanted to be close to my mom to help her, because she was a hard-working woman. And uh, then again, I went to teach. I was teaching, uh, teaching um, in a junior high school in my community, and also studying at the same time. So uh, my triple role was taking care of my children, educating myself, improving my life, and at the same time, uh, wanting to be where I want to. Then I went to, I got the scholarship, I went to Dakar University. From there I went to France and studied and got a BA in French language and civilization. Came back and worked with the UN. I was not an economist, neither was I a social scientist, but when I came I worked for 26 years with the UN. I feel comfortable because I kept on my professional development in the forefront as, as uh, the opportunity to influence decisions, to influence policies, particular political decision-making. I learned how to, I became a development practitioner. And to, up to today, at my age, I'm still learning, I'm still reading, I'm still inter- networking, I'm still listening to the radio, the media, and I'm interacting with other people, intellectuals, different levels. I never stop learning, and I have taught my children never to stop learning. If you want to be relevant, if you want to effect change or be part of change, the change we want, particularly within the context of Africa Agenda 2063, the social development agenda, you need to be relevant. You need to have the knowledge and skills. You need to have the leadership. This is not something you get at a platter. You need to change. is not something that comes to you. You have to be the one. You have to be the change you want. And you have to join other people to have a social cohesion and support women's solidarity to effect the change that women want in order to advance our agenda. No one is going to do it. We have to make space, create space, lobby, advocate, negotiate to be at that table, at the political, highest political level where we can be heard, our voices can be heard, and not individual voices, but voices that are willing and are focused on championing the advancement of the women's agenda. You are so determined, so focused and such an advocate for lifelong learning to to bring about change and continual relevance. Could you please share a few words of inspiration or, or wisdom that you'd like to pass on to young ladies who are listening to us on the continent? My inspiration, my message would be stay relevant to the conversation, be active in the conversation, find a niche for yourself, your community and your country, Uh, never give up, never despair, keep going, keep learning and keep implementing uh, the things you learn, keep sharing the knowledge you learn, the experiences you have. Keep networking, not only with women, bring along the men. Because cultural barriers are patriarchal, 
And the only way we can break that cultural barriers in terms of accessing education, in terms of accessing resources at the equal level, is to ensure that you, you bring them on board, you enlighten them, they understand the issues, they embrace the issues, and uh, at the end of the day, you will definitely be there where you want to. Have a vision. Have a vision, focus on the vision, achieve your vision, and your satisfaction should always be looking behind and saying, uplifting the majority of our women and young people in the rural areas so that they can also someday be in the mainstream, the spotlight of development, but also have equal opportunities to transform their lives, to have the energy the, that is required, green energy, to have the right infrastructure, to have the ICT, digitalization infrastructure, to participate in the implementation of the African trade, uh, African continental trade agreement and all other agreements that are in the benefit of, of, of the world and your country at large and ensure that you you part and parcel of decision making. Never give up. Africa depends on you. You are the human capital. You are a force to be reckoned with. So stay relevant and uh, you be a driving force to effect change that Africa wants, that your country wants, that your communities want, so that at the end of the day, you can be satisfied that you have achieved your vision and your mission. Hi, I'm Zonke Dikana, a South African Afro-Soul musician, songwriter and producer. You are listening to Womanity, Women in Unity on Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Welcome to our special New Year's program. We would love to receive your comments on Twitter at Womanity Talk. Joining us next is South Africa's Minister of Agriculture, Land Reform and Rural Development, Ms. Toko Dediza, who reflects on gender quotas as instruments to progress equality and shows how this action has transformed the composition of women and men throughout political structures particularly in the African National Congress. I actually agree with them because for me, you shouldn't isolate quotas, you know, out of a myriad of other, you know, instruments that you use. It's part of your instruments that you could use at a particular given time. You know, you can say gender equality, and I will again come back to South Africa as an example. We decided, you know, during the negotiations that the equality clause was going to be in the Constitution. You would argue that, okay, if citizens know that this is a constitutional obligation, they will act in tandem. But they never did. No. So you have to actually mobilize, advocate, but that on its own can achieve what you want. One of the things that helped us move, even in the political structure within the ANC, I always remind people that when ANC came back, you know, was unbanned in the country and they had to now start to mobilize, the first conference in 1991 in Devon, where the ANC held its first conference inside the country after so many years of being in exile, women pushed for 30% representation of women in the leadership structures. We never got it. We were ridiculed about, you know, sometimes when you pass as a woman, they will say 30%, you know, in jest. 
But it's a power it's phenomenon. No one wants phenomenon. to give it up. So one of the things that we had to, you know, continuously ensure that we deal with this issue internally in the ANC, arguing the point why you you require to ensure that women come into the spaces of leadership, not just to co- as cosmetics, but because of the value that they bring. It was only, if I recall very well, in the 2007 ANC Congress that... So that's 16 f- years later. That's where the 50-50% was finally accepted in the ANC. And we started with local government to make sure that we can actually test. But we also move further to say the zebra strategy so that when even nominations for those who go to hold public office, if the first is a woman, the second is a man, you know, in a zebra stripe, even though we also allow, I mean, acknowledge that maybe you must have a percentage where there could be the direct election, which is like your 25%. But some of those strategies inevitably have been very educational in our society. And as the ANC came with more women in parliament, in the first parliament in 1994, other parties had few women, but I think it acted as a pressure. If you look at South Africa's parliament today, very different than what it was in the past. You don't only just have women, but you also have got young women, you know, who are playing a very critical role in terms of public policy, legislating, oversight. And and for me, you wouldn't have assumed that had we just left that equality clause and not do anything. But you also had to look at what are the institutional mechanisms. We started with the gender machinery. Apart from the gender commission, we actually argued for the status of women to be at the presidency because of the office that the president hold and the authority that it has. We thought at the time it was very critical to ensure that you locate that office there so that it can look at how ministers respond in terms of their, you know, public service appointments, board appointments, but also programmatic interventions in terms, you know, in respect of women. So for me, you can't isolate quotas as though they don't have a space in promoting gender equality. They do, because gradually, you know, they help you to reach that ultimate objective of gender equality. Some major democracies still haven't achieved that equality. Even here, ourselves, though you can say at the political front, we've moved far and were much better, but in the corporates, it's still the same. Joining us next is South Africa's Deputy Minister of Trade and Industry, Ms. Nombolungelo Gina, who shares a few words of inspiration, appealing to women to unite for success. Yes, thank you so much. I will start with women, women of South Africa. Yes, there are challenges that you are faced with. There is so much. You know, I always say as a woman, yeah, women are the pillars. They are, they, they are the pillar of our, of, our, of, our, of, of our lives, from the family life up to the communities and, and so forth. So I always say, let us always value 
the position that we have as women, the power that we have as women. We might not see it, but we do. With the struggles, the challenges that we are faced with women, who are saying, let us not despair. There's so much that is ahead of us. There's so much that is in for us. For me, it's just, let's unite. Let's always have platforms where we share our experiences and see what is it that we can do to hold each other's hands to make sure that we reach the goal that we need to. But more especially to young women, the girls out there. I think it's very rare when you find that those girls have been killed by another woman. It's a man most of the time that does it. So we are saying really if we can come together as a community in the country, in the continent as a whole, because it's not something of South Africa only, but looking even all the African countries is one struggle that you are faced with. So it's just a plea really as to say we are all human beings. We complement each other, male and female. Let us live in our countries in a very, you know, in a very warm relationship that we have, let us build our, our continent together. We are going to make it. We'll succeed. Staying with the theme of economic empowerment, our next guest, the Deputy Minister of Employment and Labour, Ms. Boitumelo Elizabeth Malloy, encourages women to reach for the stars and take advantage of every opportunity that presents itself. I would say to young ladies, uh, I, I, and... and Young women, uh, the future looks bright. Our future looks bright for women. And the future is women. The future is women. And these women must have confidence in themselves. Because we have not yet actually unleashed the potential that is within us as women. We have much energy. We have that uh, we are brave. The future is awaiting you know, we have seen the future. The, the future looks bright for women. So the women must just uh, be able to be patient with themselves. And they must, among other things, our women, our young women, must go and capacitate themselves because we need a future that is having skilled women in particular because it, it is a necessity. And for us to be able to be taken serious as women, we need to capacitate ourselves to prepare ourselves for the future. We need uh, women who will go on to space and explore life in space. Or there is life uh, beyond uh, the sky because the sky is no more the limit. So we uh, we want young women to dream about being... in. Maybe in our lifetime we'll have a young female president. So women, young women, must see themselves in that future as young ministers, as presidents, as deputy presidents, as, as um, um, uh, CEOs of ESCOM, uh, CEOs of different uh, parastatals, our SOEs, and women must, must avail themselves because the opportunities are there. So they, these opportunities are waiting for, or upon these young women to stand up and be counted and say, here we are, we are ready to mamina, to ma, as like the president has said, to mamina and kaoleza, we are ready to serve. They must be ready to serve and they must be selfless. We need a new brigade of young women who will be ready to go there, out there and be go-getters. 
and do that which our nation is expecting of them to do. They will be, this is a game changer for women. So this is the opportunity that actually all of us have been waiting for in our lifetime. By the way, my granny had to vote, to vote in 1994 at the age of, I think, 90, over, eight, over 80 or 90. My grandmother passed on at 103 years and then she voted for the first time in 1994 she was like uh, 90 something so so imagine my grandmother having to wait until she was 90 years to go and vote for the first time but then the opportunities are presenting themselves to us now at our age what about the, those who are coming so the future is for the young ones who are here now so they must do everything in their power to make sure that they grab, they grab every moment, every opportunity that will enhance them to be counted in the future or they will be left behind. Hi, this is Lira, South African Afro soul singer and songwriter. You're listening to Womanity, Women in Unity, presented by Dr. Amelia Malka on Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance, a program that celebrates prominent and ordinary African women's milestone achievements in their struggle for liberation, self-emancipation, human rights, and democracy. Welcome to our special New Year's program. We would love to receive your comments on Twitter at Womanity Talk. Moving from government structures, our next three guests are based in the academic sector. First, we hear from Professor Saham Khan, who is the Executive Dean of the Faculty of Health Sciences at the University of Johannesburg. She stresses building good character and self-awareness as key traits for success. Yeah, I do want to share a few things. I think the first thing that I want to share is, is a mantra that I've always lived my life by. Um, because I think when you get to a certain stage in your career, you've experienced certain life experiences. Um, and one mantra I've always lived my life with, somebody said this to me in my honors year, I think, you deserve the treatment you tolerate. And I always think about this. And I, so when somebody does something to you and um, you allow it to happen and you can allow it to perpetuate and continue and continue, then I, I always say to somebody and I say it to my sister all the time, then you deserve it because you tolerate it. So either you do something about it and you address it in a respectful but direct manner um, or you just continue because you're allowing it to continue. So that's something that I, I always say this to people when they come with a problem. I said, you deserve the treatment you tolerate. And people will sit back and then back. That's true. I am tolerating this and I'm not doing anything about it. So either I do something about it or I just allow it to continue. So that's the one thing. The next thing is something that I'm known for. And my sister always shakes her head at this. I'm a very direct person. I hope that I do it with a respectful manner. But if you're going to interrupt, interrupt me in a meeting, I'm going to look at you and I'm going to say, I was not done speaking. And I will continue speaking. Whatever the situation, I've, the one thing that I absolutely love about myself, this sounds terrible, is that I'm direct. I, I will not speak to another person about you. I will not sulk. I will not hold a grudge. I won't go into a corner and go in the, the fetal position and go back and forth. I'll come to you and I'll say, it bothers me. I perceive this in a certain way. Am I right? You'll either say yes and we'll talk about it or you'll deny it. And then I'll look at you and I'll say, I'm so glad that isn't a problem. Because when I leave this office, I'm going to assume we're going to go back to the, the, to the usual. And so people 
are always taken aback when you're direct with them. But I think it's important because either you're going to be the person who's going to speak about the person or you're going to sulk and allow it to fester or you're going to say, can I have five minutes of your time? And you're going to be direct and you're going to address the problem. And I found that that, have, that has held me in good stead for, for a long time. The last thing I want to say, well, two points, sorry, I, two points. Have a high self-awareness. Just have a high self-awareness. Know when you are being mean. Know when you have spoken nonsense. Know uh, when you have promised something and you didn't deliver. Um, know when you oversold yourself. Know when you must apologize. Know yourself really well. Just have a self-awareness about, about your abilities. Um, because I think the thing that marvels me about male or females is when they will sell themselves in a way that we have not experienced them. So you will listen to somebody, but the actions do not meet what they are selling. And then I always sit and I'm like, don't you know yourself? Walk the talk. Correct. Don't you know? Did you not sit back and say, I'm talking nonsense? This is nothing as what I am. So have a high self-awareness. Um, and then the last one that I want to share is um, be a person of good character. This is very important to me. People will say, have a good character, but be consistent in your good character. Know what a good character person is. Right is right. Wrong is wrong. And walk the walk. It's very important. Uh, when people talk about you, they're going to say a lot of things. But I hope that they say, I was a good person. I treated everybody with respect, no matter who you were, no matter what your position was, no matter what you earned, you earned my respect, you had my respect, just because you being a human being. I don't care what you do in life. I, I don't care what your history is and where you come from. All I care is about how you treat me and how you treat others. And I want you to be a person of good character because then I will value you. And I hope people value me because of that. So have a good character. It's very important. Our second academic is the Dean of the Faculty of Science at Stellenbosch University, Professor Louise Varnich. Given our transition into the fourth industrial revolution, she encourages women to embrace science and technology so that they may contribute to global solutions, not just local ones. I would say that um, science and technology and innovation will play an important role um, to make South Africa, but any other country on our continent, uh, internationally competitive um, and will contribute to ensuring a better future for all of us. Because if we think of many of the challenges that we face currently, climate change, uh, disease epidemics, water and energy challenges. Uh, science and technology and innovation will help to address those. But um, it is important that we all contribute um, to solving these problems. Uh, we have to mine the capacity of the entire population not only half of the population. And therefore, it is important for women to also contribute uh, because together we can do so much more. And therefore, I think it is the interest of all of us uh, 
to recruit more women scientists um, to help us address these global issues. Our third academic, Professor Ingrid Willard, is the Dean of the Faculty of Economic and Management Sciences at Stellenbosch University. She reminds us that superwoman is a myth. Women can have it all, but just not at the same time. So I think for, for me, the, the biggest lesson I've learned in the last while is that superwoman isn't real. Superwoman is this myth that um, that, that, that was created to, to raise, our, raise our aspirations, which was, which was useful. But at the same time, the superwoman myth makes us sometimes feel really guilty that we aren't perfect. So I, I, um, there was this book in the early 80s that Helen Gurley Brown wrote called Having It All. And this idea was that we, could, we really could have it all. If we, if we simply embraced every opportunity and, and, and ran with it, we, we, we could have and we could have everything we possibly would want, both on the, on the home front and on the work front. And I think, I think for, for women of, of my age, that's, that's the lesson that we were constantly be, being given as, as young feminists, that you need to, if you're offered an opportunity, you have to take it. And then I was at a talk last year with a, with a fantastic young, young woman from Vodacom, 25 years old, and, and, she, and, and, and she said to the audience, this is absolute nonsense. You, don't, you cannot have it all. Life is all about choices. It's about these trade-offs. And it's about, it's about deciding what is it that makes sense, sense for you. And I've, I found that a really aha moment of actually, you know, we, 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 don't, we don't do ourselves or other women a favor when we, when we perpetuate the superwoman myth that actually everything is possible. Um, you, we can have everything, but we can't have it all at the same time. Welcome to our special New Year's program. We would love to receive your comments on Twitter at Womanity Talk. Our last messages of inspiration come from the diplomatic corps. Now we hear from the ambassador of Norway, Dr. Astrid Heller, who reminds us to be proud of who we are, to embrace our uniqueness and look out for other women around us. I don't know if I'm very wise, <laughs> but what I would like to say to all ladies is that you are great, you are fantastic, and you are fine. You are that because you are unique. So build on yourself. Never let anybody else judge you. Don't, let en don't compare yourself with anybody else. Don't try to look like somebody else because then you will only be a bad copy. Your value and your specificity is that there is only one on the whole planet that is just you. So just be proud of who you are and build on that. Uh, and that I think when I see young girls today who are also ex uh, exposed to this pressure of the beauty industry, uh, of uh, wanting to have surgery on uh, different parts of their bodies, uh, to be accepted, to be looking good, it really hurts me. Uh, and I think that we must be very careful not to go backwards. What we have gained by hard work uh, over the last decades, we must not allow it uh, to go backwards, neither by political ideology, nor economic interests, nor culture, nor religion. We must be very uh, mindful 
And the last thing I think it is when you have achieved uh, progress as a woman, look around you and look if the other women have achieved their progress. The indigenous women in your country, the lesbian women, uh, the uh, women with disabilities, how is their situation? And we might find out that they are not well. And I think this is maybe the biggest factor uh, where women who usually you, you do not dare, but you will dare on behalf of somebody else. So I think this is something that gives women a lot of strength. Is this when you feel that you do something for somebody else than yourself? Next, Miss Fanula Gilsonen, the ambassador of Ireland, reminds women not to get in their own way of success. I suppose what I would say is don't underestimate your own leadership potential and don't sit back if there's an opportunity to actually get involved. And in particular, don't stand in your own way. It's one thing if you're prevented from doing it because because of the way the community is organised, because of the way um, the power relationships are in the community, because maybe of the threat of violence or some other obstacle. But don't let you be the obstacle. And I think sometimes as women, you know, we absorb so much about the fact that we we can't do things, we shouldn't do things or it isn't our place. So it's very, very important to really think to yourself when you're saying, oh, oh no, I can't do that. Just to check, am I saying that because I really can't do it? So there's some genuine obstacle or am I actually standing in my own way? So ask yourself that question. If, if you're standing in your own way, get right out and move forward. That would be my, my piece of advice. Fantastic. No room for self-doubt and don't rest on your laurels. Jump for those opportunities. Exactly. Finally, the European Union ambassador to South Africa, Dr. Rina Kionka, talks about being prepared and being flexible for new opportunities and establishing networks. I'd say that um, uh, it's important to 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 prepare yourself for for what you want to do, but be open to doing something else as it comes along. Um, especially in 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 today's world, um, uh, it's not like it used to be that you studied to be X and then you worked as X uh, from the start to the end of your career. Um, things change. Uh, technology has brought about um, huge differences in the way we work and and what we work on these days. Um, so it's important, to, I think, to get a, a a good solid education, but be flexible, be plastic in the way that. Um, uh, that you you take that um, that preparation and apply it around you. So I think you have to be able to. I think the best advice that I have um, received is to um, to be open to opportunities, to seize the day, um, and define what you yourself want and go for it. Somebody once said that there's a a special place in hell for women who don't help other women. Um, and so uh, I think the um, uh, what I would say is um, look around you. There's certainly somebody uh, who could use some advice, a helping hand, um, or just a listening ear. Um, and um, it's very important to, um, to maintain and nurture networks like that. Thank you for listening. From Womanity and Channel Africa, we wish you a very happy new year.